Hello, my name is Todd Starnes. I have the privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly. You can find more about us in our church at odessafirst.com. Our current series is called Church and Culture. We are focusing on the first few chapters of the book of Daniel. Many are asking, how do I live faithful to the Lord in the midst of a corrupt culture? We can live godly lives with great impact on our culture, and Daniel shows us how. Um, to just kind of uh, refresh your memory of where we are and some of the things we've talked about and just a, a little more information um, is uh, one is that we know that Daniel was renamed along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and um, that the, they were renamed when they went into captivity. Um, Daniel's name means something very specific. Actually, all of them do. Daniel's name was God is my judge is what Daniel's name means. And when he was taken to um, uh, Babylon, he was renamed Belshazzar. And so he was about thir- he was 13 to 17 years old when he first went into captivity. Um, and he was 80 years old when he was in the lions. And to give you perspective of what we're talking about, when we go for, we've gone from chapter to chapter and chapter 5 now, I mean, some of those chapters, there's a 20, 30-year span of what's happening in the story. And when Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, um, he was, it was looking back over the, this perspective of his life and what had happened. Um, and of course, the Hebrew names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And their mean names meant Jehovah's gracious. Um, uh, Mishael, who belongs to God. And uh, Azariah, Jehovah helps. And I think we all see the truth in those names and have experienced that. Um, also, uh, that Daniel lived at the same time as several other prophets. And we haven't talked about this. I just thought it'd be really kind of good information to give you is that Daniel lived the same time as Ezekiel did, as Jeremiah did, and Habakkuk did. And so when you're reading through scripture, matter of fact, if you haven't got it yet, our 2022 reading plan is in the foyer. We have it for your notebook or also a larger size that you can take with you. And so when you're reading through Scripture, I think it's interesting to know that, you know, whether they knew each other or not, you know, maybe we we don't exactly know, but I think it's interesting that some of these Old Testament prophets, they lived during the same time together. Um, Something to remember is that three um, quarters of uh, that, uh, especially going from chapter four to chapter five, decades has has passed. Uh, the third thing is Daniel maintained his faith in God despite living in the ungodly culture of Babylon. And that's really been the whole key to this sermon series is that even though that we as well live in a very secular and even anti-Christ culture, we can still live for God. You can still live for God. It, it, it starts with a decision that's saying no matter what happens, no matter what goes on in my life, I am going to serve God. And that's exactly what Daniel did. And um, it, uh, he lived un, you know, d- just without compromising for God in a godless environment. And, and we can do that as well. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even had to face um, brainwashing education. Remember, we talked about it several weeks ago that they were even brought into the school of the enchanters 
And they were able to survive that and still live out their faith in God. And you know what? Many in our culture, especially those going into college and especially facing a lot of liberal professors, I, you know, I, I hope I'm not, you know, willing, well, you know what? I don't care <laughs> um, if it offends you. Uh, there is brainwashing that is trying to take place in, in a lot of our higher education but we as a church need to let our young people and our students know they can live for God in the midst of all of that. Even though sometimes it feels like an onslaught and a wave and a tide coming in that's sweeping them out. And we need to pray for this generation. They're facing it like none other. Also, Daniel, if you didn't know, he served under four kings, three kings that were Babylonian and one king that was Persian. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments. I, I, I find this interesting. You know, there's a, a, a lot of backstory we just have not had time to get into of one of the reasons why God brought the children of Israel into captivity. And one of them is, for a long, long time, uh, they did not honor the Sabbath. And so that's a specific reason why that they were in captivity for 70 years. There's a, a very powerful correlation there. And so, but they were, God let them go in the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed Jerusalem, took them all into captivity. And God even spoke through Jeremiah saying that God was using Babylon as a tool to bring about this punishment, this judgment towards the children of Israel. But he also had a time frame on it, that time frame of 70 years. And so we're picking up at the very end of that 70 years in Daniel chapter 5. And it's fascinating to me to know that Persia was coming in and had actually had just defeated the Babylonian Empire. And this is what's, this all the understory was taking place. So Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's, he's, he's actually been dead now for 22 years. It's his, you know, the scripture calls him his son, and some believe that it, it was more like his, his grandson. But regardless, uh, there's a new king, and Daniel is old in age. He's, in, he's at least a, in his 80s or approaching his 80s. And so here comes a Persian king named Cyrus. Now what's awesome about this is we read about Cyrus in the book of Isaiah 150 years before Daniel 5 takes place. Now think about this for a moment. And so God had already, I mean the way God orchestrates things is so mind-blowing to me sometimes, but God even names Cyrus by name. And matter of fact, Cyrus, this the, the Medo-Persian king, this king of the Persian Empire, knew about this prophecy and had tried to defeat Babylon before and was defeated. And, the, and one of the reasons I believe that is because it was not God's time yet. Why? Because the 70 years was not over yet. When you pick up with King Cyrus, you understand that Cyrus is the one that began to release the children of Israel 
from captivity. They may not give you goosebumps, but it does me. I just got chills right now. I, I, it just, it's just amazing to me when we look at Scripture. And I want to read that verse, actually, in Isaiah chapter 45. And I want to add a list a little more historical context to this. But in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 5, it says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. This is 150 years before Daniel chapter 5. Think about that. And God names him by name, whose right hand I have grasped of subdued nations before him, and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you, I will level exalted places, I will break pieces, the doors of bronze, and cut through iron bars. I'll give you treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may, listen, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who's called you by name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by name. He's using another heathen king. He's chosen him to release the children of Israel out of captivity. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. See, there's the qualifier that we know that Cyrus did not know God. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you though you do not know me. Now think about this. How, when after, uh, this is just a little, another little side note, just really quickly. So when Daniel 5 was happening, that we're about to read in just a moment, Cyrus and the Persian Empire has defeated Babylon. And when they were marching into Babylon, there was no fight for Babylon. None. There were men on the inside, in the inside that when Cyrus got there, they just opened up the gates. Now think about that for a moment, what we just read, that there would be no resistance to Cyrus. Isn't that, I mean, and this is being talked about 150 years before it happens. But let's pick up, and the fifth thing is very quick, I already mentioned, is that Daniel was in his 80s when he was thrown in the lion's den. So, Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. You may not have found that interesting. I thought it was interesting. I got to share it with you because I'm the one up here. Okay. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at this. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. I want to give a little perspective. So this is happening. So his army has just been defeated. His army has just been annihilated, matter of fact, completely destroyed. And what does he choose to do? I mean, it's kind of like, okay, then we're just, we're going to party. I mean, they are throwing the keggers of all keggers. If you excuse them, some of you are close enough, you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. You, I lost you. That's okay. So Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded the vessels, listen to this, of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple. So he's bringing out all the holy um, uh, silverware. He's bringing all the holy instruments, and he's using them for this, this party. And so a uh, very sacrilegious ground we're walking on here. And, you know, and he, that the king and of his lords and wives and his concubines might drink from them. And so this was very unusual for a king to throw a party and, and bring his concubines in. 
And so, excuses, there's really no other way to say this. So what is happening is they're having a drunken orgy. He's sharing all of his wives and his concubines with these thousand lords in this party. I mean, this is a debauchery of the, the greatest magnitude, which is in keeping with of Babylon. And so he brought the golden vessels, taken out to the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, Reading in verse 3, and the kings and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank for them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised, and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze. So they bring out, it's almost like a golden calf thing happening as well. So they bring out all these things taken from the Jewish temple, from God's temple. They're using them for terrible purposes, for, for uh, ungodly um, uh, uh, reasons. And they're, they're, they're worshiping the, the false gods of, of gold and silver and bonds, iron and wood as they do this. So here's, the, here's a little context. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he's been dead for 22 years. And here's this king. And matter of fact, what historians tell us is that this king, um, Belshazzar, was a spoiled brat. I mean, of like, I mean, think of like the Kardashians times a thousand. I mean, I mean, it was just, this guy was impossible, and he's having this massive party for for a thousand people, and he bring and they're doing all these horrible things, and 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 having this party. Then we pick up in chapter in five. Chapter five, verse three, and then they brought out. So they bring it out, and they drank wines, and they, you know, they worshipped um, these false gods. Listen to me. And so all this is happening while uh, the Persian Empire is knocking at their door. And, and this may be an odd thought, but here's a thought that just leapt into my mind and my heart when I was reading this. Finish strong. Finish strong. Finish strong. If there, is a, if there has ever been a season, a time that we as believers need to finish strong, it is right now. So many times when we get faced with what we think is an impossibility, when we're about to lose everything, right? We go through these, uh, 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 these, these thoughts of like, what's the point anyway? I'm going to tell you as a believer, finish strong, regardless of what the storm is, regardless of the circ- I mean, things may happen in your life that are horrible, terrible things. Finish strong. Finish strong. You may be faced with some of the most difficult circumstances you've ever faced, and you don't understand why. You may not think it's fair. Believer, finish strong. Run the race that is set before you. Don't be taken in and and defeated and sucked in by this culture. You're going to face those moments when you want to give up. When you want to give up on the promise. When you want to give up on the marriage. When you want to give up on the dream. When you want to give up on the vision. When you want to give up on ministry. When you want to give up on serving God. Don't. Don't do it. It is not worth it. Finish strong. Finish strong. Do well, trust God. When it's difficult, do well and trust God. When it's difficult, live right and trust God. Just leave it up to Him. I mean, what's happening with this king and and Daniel 5? He has been defeated. And most likely he's facing that he knows that he and his entire family is probably going to be executed. And God is putting into action 
a plan, but believer for you, finish strong. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Let us not grow weary in doing well, for in due season you will reap a harvest. I know that sometimes it's difficult to do well. I know that sometimes it's difficult to carry forward in faithfulness. But if you will do it, you will reap a harvest. One of my favorite quotes is from Calvin Coolidge. And Calvin Coolidge said this, Nothing in the world can take place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Don't give up. Persist. Keep going forward. Keep moving. You know, Tommy Barnett, years ago, I don't, you may not know who he is, some may, I don't know, but at one time that Tommy Barnett, he pastored the largest uh, Assembly of God Church in the nation, um, somewhere over 20,000. I think the largest AG church right now is in Chicago. It's um, approaching close to 40,000. That's just mind-boggling to me, but to have churches of that size. But Tommy Barnett was really the first mega church that was Assembly of God, a great outreach pastor. One time I went to one of his conferences, and he preached a sermon in the opening session called The Honor and Quitting. And really what it came down to, he said this. He said, the honor in quitting is knowing that you're not. That you know that you're not going to do it. I was thinking, you know, some, <laughs> I, I, Colonel Sanders has always fascinated me. I, I don't care much for KFC. I like my mama's fried chicken. But, uh, I mean, some of you know some of his life and some of his story, but... You know, he was, he, was, he was already in his 60s when what happened was he had been turned down by every restaurant, every fast food chain. He was trying to take his is it seven seasonings or his, his recipe to all these different fast food chains. And finally, this fast food chain in Utah picked it up and began to sell it, and it transformed everything. And that's what started the wave of Colonel Sanders, and, and now what we have is KFC, but he went through years of people telling him no. I, 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 those stories of determination just always speak to me. Or maybe you know about Walt Disney that he was fired from a, a newspaper, the Kansas City Star, and the reason they gave for firing him is for lack of imagination. <laughs> I mean, think about that. But now we know that uh, there's a whole different story to the Walt Disney and what he's done. I want to pick up in verse 5. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 5. And so they're having this drunken orgy party. They're facing their, their imminent demise. And what's interesting to me is God could have left it at that, right? I mean, God's taking care of all this anyway, but he, God doesn't stop with things there. He does something very, very significant, very miraculous right here. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on a plaster wall of the king's palace opposite of the lampstand. Can you imagine? I mean, I mean, real, I mean think about it right now. A hand appearing right now and writing. I think that would freak me out a little bit. And you know what? It did him too. And we're going to read about that. Look what happens. 
Verse 6, the king's color changed. He was alarmed. I love scripture. I'm thinking, yeah, okay. I don't think alarm probably is the correct um, description of what King Bashar was, was facing right then. But he, he changed color. He was alarmed. And the Bible says his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And uh, it freaked him out, okay? That, he, he, was, he was pretty messed up. And you may not need to know this, but I, I feel compelled to even give you a description of what's happening right here. What a lot of theologians believe, matter of fact, you read other translations, it's a little more direct of what's happening right here, is that the king, when this happened, he changed colors, he was alarmed, and he sold himself. So I'll let you fill in the blank right there. That's how freaked out the king is. He sees this hand appear and writing on the wall. Verse 7, the king called loudly to bring in enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. I mean, how many times have these guys done this? The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation because there was no, lang- there was no language known of what was being written. And that's really important to understand. This was not like, you know, they, th- this was not Hebrew words. This is not, you know, Babylonian words. This is not Persian words. This is, this is not a known language that's being written on the wall. And so, in verse 9, the king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and the lords were perplexed. Listen to me. God will do what it takes to get your attention. Some of you have lived that out. Some of you, that's how you came to faith. That's how I came to faith. I, I, I finally got, I ran out of road that I was running away from God and God tends to get your attention. But it just doesn't stop with the lost. Even He does that with us believers as well because sometimes we're that stubborn and we're that hard-headed that God will do what it takes to reach you, that God will do what it takes to um, get your attention. And I just, I just made just a, a few notes just very quickly. Sometimes he'll do that through interruptions. Sometimes he will mess up the flow of your life to get your attention. Why? Because he wants to get you into a place that he can talk to you, that he can speak to you. Uh, many times, there's been many, many times, you know, I, I, matter of fact, the first person I ever heard it from was Kathy Suttle, which is Vicky's sister, Vicky Brown's sister. I had never heard this before, but I was, we were going on a trip. I was a little bit frustrated um, because for some reason there's this, you know, thing that, you know, wives just take forever. And so, uh, and, you know, and, and Kathy knew I was getting a little frustrated and she said, Todd, she said, you don't know what God might be keeping us from. There could be a wreck on the interstate that God's keeping us from. There could be, you know, and she's, you know, and I was like, I never even thought of that. And so that's what I try to do right now is, is when I'm waiting on Angela in the driveway with the car running. I'm like, Lord, you're keeping us from a wreck. Thank you. Thank you. Right? So just soliciting you some of your husbands right now. You know exactly. But another thing is restlessness. Is restlessness. Sometimes we 
kind of get anxious and we can't sleep. We get stressed out. We get edgy because we feel we don't feel peace. We feel uncomfortable about something. Maybe it's because God's trying to get your attention. Maybe instead of getting up and you're like, I can't sleep past 2.30 in the morning. Why am I waking up every morning at 2.30? Maybe instead of turning on the news or the show or the Netflix, maybe you should turn the line on to God and say, okay, God, why am I waking up? Because God's trying to get your attention. Maybe it's that still small voice that you hear. You, you hear that voice on the inside of the Holy Spirit trying to speak to you. Maybe it's disappointments. We got interruptions, restlessness, a still small voice, disappointment. Sometimes you will go through disappointments in life because God's trying to get your attention. And sometimes it's just all around circumstances. All around circumstances. And then what we read about beginning in chapter in chapter 5 verse 10 is the queen now the queen right here is Nebuchadnezzar's wife she's still living this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife and she says hey I'm just kind of summing up right here she says there's this guy Nebuchadnezzar used him a few talked about him a few times and he kind of rocked our world he had interpretations of visions and dreams and and told us about what was what and what was going on and he has an excellent spirit and excellent knowledge, excellent understanding, and can interpret dreams. And in verse 12 and chapter 5, it says, matter of fact, that he can explain riddles. He can solve problems. And all this is found in Daniel. Now let Daniel be called, the king says, and he will show me the interpretation. So he offers Daniel, just like the rest of them, a third of the kingdom. And the reason why he offers a third, because he is actually, King Belshazzar is actually a co-regent. He's a co-king with someone else. And so he can't offer him half, so he offers him a third. And so he tells Daniel, Daniel, I, you know, I, I need you to tell me what's going on here. Daniel reminds, and then I really like this, because only, you know what, there are some things, and I say this very respectfully, there are some things that only old people can get away with. It's true. I mean, if I speak my mind, usually I get blowback. But when my mom speaks her mind, I mean, she's 78 years old, you're like, yes, ma'am. I mean, you know, that's, just, that's just when you start aging, that's just the benefit you get to get to that age. And Daniel's like, listen, buddy, um, this thing that nobody else can do, I can do that. And really what's happening is, is Daniel saying, that's something from the Lord, and it takes a spiritual person to see what's going on and what's happening. But Daniel, he's like, he's like he was you know, driven from his children, driven from mankind, and, and he was talking to, you know, interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream about living like a beast, and and wild, the wild donkeys and, and fed like grass like an ox. And, but you have lifted yourself up against the Lord, the Bible says. When all this is happening, you have, he's using the instruments of, of what was made for godly worship. And they're having this party. And he says, but you've lifted yourself up against the Lord. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 24, we pick up with this. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And this writing was inscribed, many, many, tekel, parson. Many, many, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, 
God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it brought to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And so Daniel interprets and talks exactly what these words mean. And the first one is many. God has numbered your days. As a matter of fact, if we were to keep reading, God takes Belshazzar's life right then. Like he doesn't survive much longer. Like his days were really numbered. And so, you know, what that has to do with is really time. I had to explain to Kaylee what this was. She didn't know what, uh, where the term hourglass came from. And so, you know, time is such a precious thing. And when you're playing a game, by the way, you can't do this and make it go faster. Anyway. Um, but anyway, so that's a little tidbit from the competitive Sarns family. Um, if you live to be 80 years old, think about this. If you live to be 80 years old, 26 years is spent sleeping. Seven years is spent trying to sleep. Anybody say amen to that? But some of you, this is no joke, some of you spend, if you were to live to be eight, some of you spend 40 years sleeping. You spend 13 years working when you add it all up together. You spend, think about this, you spend 11 years looking at screens, eight years at the TV, and three years of your life on social media. Does social media sound that important? And the latest statistic that has come out, um, those under 18, that they are spending 97 days a year watching TV. Can you... Um, life that is so precious, think about what we spend and how we spend our time. You spend four and a half years eating. Some of us maybe a little more than that. That's okay. That's time well spent. When we speak in terms of money, we speak in the same terms as time as I've just did. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your money? That was a waste of time. That's a we, we, we use time and money and use some of the same words to talk about it. Listen to me. Our time here is so precious. It's so precious. In Psalms 90, verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days. There's a lot of people living in our culture that that's the last thing they want to talk about or think about is their days being numbered. Yet Scripture asks us, the prayer right here in Psalms is, Lord, teach us to number our days. Did you know it is scientifically proven that you live your life with your mortality in view that you'll accomplish more in life than if you don't? Those that give no thought about it accomplish in life far less than those that think about the mortality. Why? Because there's an understanding of how precious every single moment is. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Look at, and it says this, making the best use of time. 
recently, if you're, if you're on Spotify and you went on this last week, you had this thing pop up that said, you know, your Spotify thing wrapped up, you know, anybody, anybody see that? Anybody on Spotify see it? And it'll tell you like how long, how much, I listened to 3,000 hours of music on Spotify this last year. It told me, you listen to this, this much music, here's who you listen to, here's who you listen to most, here was your top bands, here's your top singers, and it told me all of that. And I thought 3,000 hours. And so I started figuring up some things in my life on uh, what I invest my time in. And some of it was like, okay, that's good. Some of it was sobering. But I'm going to tell you, you need to take stock in how you're investing your time. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse, verse 27, it's appointed for every man to die and then the judgment. I was, this, I think it was yesterday, matter of fact, I, yesterday or Friday, it was, it was, it's been very recently, and I can't remember the whole song and, or even who sings it, but the song came on the radio, and it's that last verse that talks about, you know, that uh, we're at the end, of, it's a worship song, and we're at the end of our days, and our strength is failing in that moment. I'm going to tell you, when I'm in that moment, if, if, if the Lord tarries and, and we're not taking up because of the rapture of the church, I don't want to leave any regrets behind me of how I spent my time or invested my time. Tekel, many, you have, your time is, 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 is short. Tekel, you've been weighed and found wanting. You've been weighed and found wanting. There may be some that don't know what this is. Some will know what this is. This is a scale. You've been weighed and found wanting. I think it's pretty cool. You've been weighed and found wanting. I mean, there is no doubt that this king, right, he's right in line with the rest of the kings, and they were, they were very godless men. And, of course, this is being spoken as judgment towards Babylon, but I'm going to tell you that we've also been weighed. You see, when you look at the scale of life, what Scripture tells us is that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what the literal meaning of glory is? The literal meaning of glory is weight. So compared to the glory of God, we have no weight. And so here's the, I wish this moved more, but you know, here, well, I'll just use one of these do-debtors. That's an official term for that. This is the glory of God, and here is us. We fall short. We fall short. But see, then, but God, He had a plan. He had a plan from the very beginning. See, the Bible says that because of one man's disobedience, you know, sin entered the world. And so we know because of the fall of Adam and Eve, sin was brought in the world. And so now we're all born in a sin, and we're all, we all fall short of God's glory, of God's measure, of God's standard. Think of the Ten Commandments as God's ruler. And if we try to measure ourselves against that ruler, we're going to come up short. Think of Christ as the one that we're being... I mean, would anyone in this room... 
believe that your life compares to the righteousness of Jesus, the Son of God. I would, if, if, if you do, we, we, we got to talk more than this is sermon. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, we, we don't compare. But the Bible says, but the gift of God, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so what God has lined out for us is, yeah, we don't measure up. We, don't, we cannot compare to Christ. But here's where Jesus' blood comes on this side. And he begins to even things out. He begins to even think God, Christ's blood balances the scales. God's blood balances the scales. Did you know not only that, but you were made, yeah, when I was thinking about them using the, the utensils out of the temple for this purpose, did you know that God has made you for his service? You are made for God's service. I mean, Scripture tells us, you don't, you don't know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that in a house, there are utensils for noble and ignoble purposes. And it goes on to tell us in 2 Timothy 2.21 that if we purify ourselves from the ignoble ones, from the unpure things, it says this, you'll be a vessel, a vessel honorable for use. And so, God's glory being the weight, God's glory is perfection. God's glory is a standard that we are judged. But we also have to understand that God saves us, that God has set all this in motion because, yes, God wants worship from us. He, he wants our relationship with Him reconciled, but it's also to use you. And that is a good thing, to be used as a vessel of the Lord for His purpose. Maybe you have felt weighed by others and judged by others. I mean, sometimes I get around people, and I mean, I know it's not, you know, I, I feel this way, that I'll never measure up. And I, we really need to be careful in our relationships with one another, because what happens so many times is when you sin, I become a judge, but when I sin, I become a defense attorney. So when I see you mess up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see why that happened. I can, see, I can see why you messed up there. But then, you know, when it comes to my own mistakes, I'm like, oh, but, wait, you got to know the story. Uh, it made me think of a song. I don't know if some of you remember this group, but it's For Him. Anybody remember For Him? There's a song they used to sing. I used to love it. I haven't thought about it in years, but it popped in my head. This world can analyze and size you up and throw you on the scales. They can IQ you and run through you, their rigorous details. They can do their best to rate you, and they'll place you on the charts and then back it up with scientific smarts. But there's more to you than what you're worth, but their human eyes can see. It goes on to say, well, you can doubt your worth and search for who you are and where you stand, but God made you in His image when he formed you in his hands, he looks at you with mercy and he sees you through his love. You're his child that you'll always be enough. There's more to you than you're worth than you could ever comprehend. And then the course is this. I say the measure of a man is not how tall you stand, how wealthy and intelligent you are. I have found the measure of a man God knows and understands for he looks inside 
at the bottom of your heart, for it's your heart defines the man or woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, it goes on to say. But I may use that for our music Monday tomorrow. We'll see. The last thing is Perez or Perrin, your kingdom is divided. And so what was happening, remember, is that here comes the Persian Empire. The Babylon Empire is about to be destroyed, to be annihilated. Listen, very quickly, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. We don't like hearing that. And yes, I do understand that because of Adam and the sin that was brought in the world, that's what separated us from God initially. But I'm going to tell you, your sin separates you from God. Not just the general sin that's been brought in the world, but if you're living life in rebellion to God, you're living in a life of sin, and your sin separates you from God. You see, that's, there has to be bad news for there to be the good news, and that's the bad news. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. The second thing is this, we cannot close that divide between us and God. It's not something that we can do on our own. The Bible says in Matthew 64, 6, we have all become like men who are unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Another way we're used to hearing that is that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do, but there was something that was done. You see, Christ left his kingdom. He left heaven and came to earth and lived as a servant and served. And he lived his life here, a sinless and spotless life, offered himself up as a sacrifice. And when he died upon that cross, matter of fact, the Bible says that... I'm going to go ahead and share the scripture, and then I'll share the point in a second. But Matthew 27, 50, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and the curtain of the temple, the veil, was torn from top to bottom. And so we see there's a separation that's happened between us and God, and we cannot bridge that. We cannot divide, close that chasm. But I'm going to tell you the cross of Christ can the cross of Christ, what Christ did upon the cross is what bridges that gap. It's the only way that gap can be bridged. The Bible says there can be no forgiveness of sin unless there is the shedding of blood. And Christ shed his precious blood for you. See, what has happened is, is when Adam fell, you were ripped out from the kingdom of God. You were separated from God. But because of what Christ did, we have now been reconciled with God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to ask you to stand this morning. Thank you once again for joining us for our podcast. If you want more information about us, just find us on the web at odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Again, thank you for joining us, and I pray that the Lord richly bless you.